end goal? Like, where do you want people to get to? Like, what conclusion do you want people to get to? And then how do you lead them there verbally, right? Through propaganda or through newspaper articles or through, um, you know, just verbal, like, ideas, right? Like, idea sharing, um, you know, dropping leaflets, right? Like, it's just such a fascinating process to me. So covert influence, I would say, was the closest place where I, I thought I was luckily never put on anything that I felt was super dicey. Um, there we did. I did learn that uh, the government, there are rules. So that was something that was actually comforting because I'm in this office and um, we were trying to plan something and then the lawyers are on all of our projects and they're like, you cannot do this. And we're like, oh, and they're like, you cannot incite violence. Like you cannot put anything out there that's going to make people like if you think in any way that it's going to make people violent towards each other, you are not allowed to do that. And I was, I felt, it just made me feel better. I was like, all right, there's rules here. Like mm-hmm. lawyers on my case. Like, that's great. Like, yeah. all right, you know, let's do this, you know, right. black op and, <laughs> you know, with, with some morals here. Um, but yeah, there's definitely been things done in CIA's past, right, that I wouldn't have agreed with. Um, I was looking never to be in a situation where I was, you know, where I was lucky to never be put in a position where I had to decide whether I was going to go along with something I was not comfortable with or whether I was going to have to leave. Um, Because that's always an option, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And when I was interviewed, that was one of the questions they asked me. Because I'm Buddhist, I was a social worker, and the interviewer was like, how do you reconcile these things about you with all the gray area the CIA is going to have. And I was like, you know, you just decide on the spot. Like you have to decide case by case. There's no black and white. Every situation is completely individual. So, yeah, I, I really love what, uh, how Andrew described the, the difference between black and white and good and bad, like people's, People's moral judgments that they make in the real world, by and large, are good or bad, right or left. And it's all funneled into these two binary categories. Mm -hmm. And it was super fascinating to me how the CIA expanded that view and that way of thinking, the critical thinking and the the cognitive, uh, what was the word, the cognitive... Oh. Uh, dissociation or something like that. Yeah. But basically <clears throat> how the CIA adapted a black and white way of looking at the world into a basically a color wheel of not just gray areas, but actually color yes. to where you have to analyze situations depending mm-hmm. on the different elements and the different information that you're getting from people, whether you completely disagree with this person, if this person is the scum of the earth, child murderer, whatever it could be, but you need to. 199. You wear a helmet? No helmet, Laura, Florida. 
Thanks, no. Ben, for the quality you know content. Up. What? Thanks, Ben, for the quality content that I watch daily. Thank you very much for watching. We appreciate it. What else? We got nothing else to do but miserable real... I'll tell you right now, if you own real estate, you better get your shit together. You better be on top of it like you've never been on top of it before in your life. Because uh, it's looking really weird. We're not over. We're not out of the woods. Okay? The money ain't flowing. The planes ain't flying. The players ain't playing. All right? What else? Nothing from you? Nothing from yeah, you? I go now. David G, thanks for the $5. I'm David 40. David G, cheap coat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm 47, worth about five mio. You worth $5 million? You only sent me $5? That's not even like... No, I'm just kidding. You worth five million bucks. What are you gonna do with, with it? A, with tell me, I don't know what to do with, with my 800, money. With eight hundred thousand cash and no debt, what would you buy to generate about ten grand per month income to live off the next many years? All right, seriously, if you got eight hundred cash, you know, you know, and you don't want to have a lot of responsibility, and you want to use it as income, and you want it to be safe, then you better look for triple net deals. But there's no management. There's no nothing. You know, you may have to go out of your area, which it doesn't matter because you're not managing it. I got three triple net deals that are 500 miles away. I don't worry about it. It's not my problem. All I got to do is pay me the rent. And then I got to set up where they pay the rent to an account. The bank takes the mortgage out of that same account. And then whatever's left is clearly mine. I don't pay any bills, not taxes, not insurance, not nothing. So... Look for a seven cap, let's see, $800,000. If you spread that out and use 20, 25% down, you could probably do up to four deals. You need to go out and look for like four $1 million deals or two $2 million deals. If you find a $1 million deal and you put $200,000 down on it and you finance the other $800,000 on the million, then the eight hundred thousand is going to cost you roughly about twenty grand a month, uh, two two grand a month. So if you got you know uh, two grand a month to pay the bank, and if you get yourself a seven cap, that's seventy grand a year on that million dollar property. Out of the seventy, you give the bank their twenty five or whatever it is, and you're left with forty five. On a two hundred thousand dollar investment, so you could probably get that ten grand a month with only four hundred that grand out of the eight hundred. All right, we you gotta go. All right, already. I'm telling the guy what to do with his goddamn eight hundred grand, so you can get ten thousand dollars a month. You know, you need to find deals and then finance them. The thing about triple net is the beauty of it is you finance it. You're borrowing money at three and four percent. But you're collecting six or seven. So that spread is yours, which increases your return on your investment. Okay? If you just pay cash a million dollars, you're only going to get 70 grand a year. Right? But you have to put up a million dollars for it. If you only put 200,000 up and you get 45, you're not in better shape because you can do more deals. All right, next. And go with stuff that's necessity. Walgreens, grocery stores, auto parts stores, you know, things like that. All right, good luck. Take care. What's up?
got a caller. We got a caller. We got a caller. Good evening, Ben. This is Leo calling from your favorite place on Earth, New York City. New York City! <laughs> is there, was, was there a commercial where the guy used to go, where's this sauce from? New York City! Alright, so what's New up? With, what part of New York City? Oh, Queens. 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 Oh, yeah? Yep. Okay. So what can we do for you? You're in Astoria? No, by Regal Park. Regal Park. Like Left Rack City. Left Rack City. People don't know, but Left Rack is like two big builders. And you have all these apartments built by a guy named Left Rack. Trump built a shitload of apartments. And then there's some other big shots. But anyway, so what can we do for you? Happens to be that um, a family member of mine has three multifamily homes that they haven't paid the mortgage in about, let's say, eight years. So now she's, you know, she's a little bit of an older age. She's about, I don't know, 65, getting towards like 70, so like more like 68. And she's thinking, well, you know, I haven't paid the, the, the my, my houses in a couple of years. But uh, I wanted to leave something for the family. Um, she wants to know if she can, how she gets back on track in terms of uh, paying off the mortgage. But now imagine eight years. What, what is your experience in that, Ben? Did you say eight years? She couldn't have gone out paid a mortgage in eight years. No bank's going to go for that. Eight years has been... Eight no years has it been a friggin' more on three different properties? On three different properties. <laughs> and is it all the same bank? Uh, two are the same bank. And what are the banks doing? Nothing? They haven't told her nothing? They haven't foreclosed on her? Nothing? Mm, I think they're going through a foreclosure, something like that now. But she got a she got something recently in the mail saying that um, if you get if if we do a payment mortgage payment by the first of next month, then we could get back on on the on the payment or get it back up to date on everything. Listen, it sounds like you know you or somebody needs to step in right away, right away. And get a hold of that settlement agreement letter. You need to cut a deal if they haven't foreclosed on it. Her five dollars a day. It's like three. There. Come on, it's bro. like three something. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just yeah. I I always give the invitation because I feel like um, um, the community and it's literally hundreds of people. Yeah. Hundreds of people on the call every single day. So make sure you uh, go to themorningmeetup.com. We also got a Patreon if you want to show love to your favorite podcast. Uh, just yeah. go to patreon.com forward slash David Never Sleeps, Javon. Yep. Uh, yeah. Forward slash David Never Sleeps. Make sure you go check that out. Um, and you can get like unreleased stuff. And hold on, Jeremy. I'm almost done. Okay. I, I'm doing commercials. We got to pay the bills. I love it. Oh, dang. I don't got my my phone number. I don't know it. You know it? You know my number? Hold on. Y'all can text me. I do pick up this phone, too. I, I actually text. So I got it. 404-737-4935. Make sure you text me. 
Yeah, make sure you text me. All right, cool. And uh, we're right back. Jeremy. Yeah. Thank you, man. Absolutely, no doubt. Thank you. Yo, real quick, and I know you got to go. We're going to close this out. But can I get like a five-minute conversation from my Patreon members? Okay. So Patreon is like people, it's like unreleased stuff. So everybody gets this. But you got like five, ten minutes. Okay. Real quick. Okay. We'll make it quick. Okay. Yeah. Let's close it out. All right. So, Jeremy, let everybody know how to find you. man. Again, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Not only just the podcast, but your uh, mentorship to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. Um, your tutelage. Um, just, just, just being who you are. There's nothing that you have that man. In the federal prison, they need haircuts. They pay barbers to come inside the federal. No way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I had a few of those back in 2017. You had a contract from the the government yeah. that says, "Yo, I want you to." I need people to ha- cut hair in prison. So I need licensed barbers to cut hair in the federal prison bureau system. Yes. I had like three of those. And you go find a barber and you say, hey, barber. My man, I got you. work for you. Consistent work at the Detroit prison bu- system. Can you go there at least twice a week? Tell me how much you're going to charge me. I get their quotes from uh, from them, right? I put my money on top, send it to the federal government, and either they say yay or nay. Okay. Do you still do that? Yeah. I'm saying, do you have a contract with the- Oh, no, no, no. no. Yeah, it's been- Give me some numbers. Give me some numbers. What they pay you and what you paid the barber. All right. So let's say the barber says, I need- Well, the contract was this. They have to do at least 200 heads, Mm -hmm. right? They have to cut 200 heads. Okay, cool. The barber seems like a lot of pressure though, because if you mess up somebody's line, it's crazy. <laughs> I, don't know what it, I don't know what. It, I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing to lose, bro. You but you got but peep game too, though. Most I, and I ain't gonna group a ball, right? But most barbers they from the street, like yeah, so right. they they come. That's a fact. That's they a come. Fact. So, so it said the contract said I need two hundred haircuts. I need you to cut two hundred heads. Yeah. Okay. He said $5,000. 200 heads, $5,000. That's what, that's that's what the barber charged you. That's what he wanted to charge me. Okay, cool. What I'm going to do, though, is Hold I'm going to take that. that num- those numbers don't sound right. 200 heads, 5000 I wonder. I don't on, know what he's equating. He's probably is. equating in there. Five he got to go into the system. How much is it per head? $25. Oh, so it's a, it's so a cut. Got regular stuff, right? Oh, that's, that ain't bad. Now, what God, I did... Lee, I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> to, for a barber to make $5,000, they have yeah. to cut 200 heads. But that's why they charge... What do they charge right now? $40, 40 a haircut? Yeah, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, charge a little more now. I don't God, care. Yeah, I cut my own hair, man. Right. I don't got time for it. <laughs> for sure. I've been in the mirror like this. Right, myself right. up. So what I do is, okay, my man wants 5000 let me go see what another barber is going to charge me for the same 200 heads at the same prison system. Now, let's say another barber came to me and said he wants $7,000. Okay, cool. No problem. Obviously, I'm going to go with the $5,000 because it's the lower quote. But it's a guy out there that want to charge me $7,000 for the same thing. I'm going to just put my two on top of it and send a um, proposal to the government for $7,000. 
He make his five, I make my two. Oh, yeah, so that's why you're getting the second quote to see like what is what, a normal rate. There you go, because I don't I don't cut hair, so I don't know if it's high, low, if he gouging me or not. I don't know that. So I have to go get another quote so I can price compare. We do it all the time. I gotta get uh, a roof done on my house, right? I'm not gonna go with the first person I call. Right. I'm gonna probably call like five people. For sure. It's the same system, it's the same mindset. I wanna call multiple people. You see, because the purpose of it is, right, how much money can I put on top of this thing? But you can't know if you just get one quote. You know what I was thinking? I thought in, in government contracting, they say I have a certain amount of money to do this particular Everybody job. thinks that. Everybody thinks that. They're, my students, they'll come to me and say, well, how do I know what they're going to pay? They don't know because we're bidding. Because we're bidding on it. If they say we want $200,000 for this contract, everybody would be at what? $200,000. <laughs> right. So it's no, it, it'd be, it would so be no purpose. So the government's trying to save their money too. Like, yeah, let me, let, so, so they're doing exactly what you did. Like, yeah, let me go so I'm taking their system and I'm just doing it the opposite way so I can co- sit, submit a competitive quote. The same thing. Very lit. <laughs> okay, so back back. Okay, we're going to just, I, I want to, like, let everybody know. How long you been doing this? 2008. 2008. Yes, sir. Since 2008, what has been your one biggest contract? Uh, 3.2. 3.2 million. Yeah. One contract. One. For how long? It was 3.2 over four years. So the government paid $3.2 million to you over four years. Yeah. That was for elevators. What do you mean? To do maintenance on elevators, 132 elevators. But you don't know nothing about elevators or nothing about maintenance. I never never even seen them elevators or seen the people working on them elevators. Never seen them. What state was it in? California. 3.2 million (laughs) to to install and maintenance elevators in California over a four-year period. How much... Did it cost you to find and source these people? And how long did it take? Oh, man, that's a phenomenal question. So, number one, it cost me nothing to go to Google, right, and Mm -hmm. find companies that want to do this work. That's the first thing. So, that's zero. So, it probably took me, like, mm, maybe, like, two weeks because each contract has a, a date that it needs to be due, right? So, let's say I find it on... May 1st is mm-hmm. due May 30th. Right. So I got to turn it in May 30th, before May 30th. Mm-hmm. So, but I want to gather all my information within a two-week time period so now I can do what? Go through my numbers and make sure I'm getting a decent amount too. Obviously, I'm not trying to get the same amount they're getting, mm-hmm. but I want a nice amount too because if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't have to work. For sure. You feel me? For so sure. I got to make sure I add my money in there, too. So I, I give myself a two-week time period. And how much did you pay out on the 3.2? On the 3.2, I paid out two, two, nine, nine. So about 2.5. Yeah. But so I you made $700,000 as a middleman. And I ain't do nothing. And I still, I, I still got their contact information today. They still call me. Obviously, they want some more work. One contract. That was just one. Yeah. But I got 40 of them. 
That's what a lot of people don't understand. You got to watch, rinse, repeat this thing. What yeah. is going on right you gotta, now? <laughs> All right. You got to okay. watch, rinse, repeat it, man. The thing is this. There's not a lot of companies that know how to obtain federal government contracts. That's the first thing. So the federal government continues to call the same companies over and over again, even though they know you don't have a specialty. What they do know is you can find a subcontractor that's going to do the job of the scope of work and get it done. That's what they know. Golly. Mm -hmm. How many contracts do you have right now? 40. You have 40 contracts. Yeah. Various numbers, right? They're not all 3.2. But they're not all only 3.2, bro. Right, right. You feel me? Like, so nowadays, I've tapped into the real estate world and federal government contract. That's a different space. That's a whole different beast. But 30 of my contracts are four years and better. So that's that residual, you know, month after month after and month. And just, uh, just that particular isolated situation of 3.2 is spread out over four years. It's over four, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So, and how do they pay it out? Every month, every 30 days. So they take 3.2 million divided by the X months, amount of months. Yeah, whatever the months And are. then they just yeah, I joint. invoice, I invoice. So I see how much money I got to charge them every month. I hit that invoice button, boom. Maybe 15 days later in the same month, that money come through. So you send out 40 invoices every month. Yeah, well now, not me, but. Right, not yeah, you, yeah. yeah. But the team, yeah. That's lit. <laughs> All right, okay, so let's let's take them back. Let's take them back. Like, who is Jay White? Like, how did you get started? Man, I was working at the gas station. I was In 2008, I was working at the gas station. BP, my homeboy rolled Go up on me. I was serving gas. The boy behind the glass? Yeah, that was me. So you pulled up on me. So everybody got a little side hustle, right? Right. If you're my people, I'm going to give you some free gas. You give me $20, I'm going to give you $10 worth of free gas, right? What year is this? It's 2008. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can just pull up to the tank. It ain't like now, right? You got to pay before you play. Back then, you could just go to the pump and get it in. Right, right. Hold on. We're we're in Maryland? No, no, no. I'm from uh, Virginia. Virginia. Did they pump the gas for you in Virginia? No. Because they did in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jersey, they'll pump the gas for you. Well, that's up north, down south. Virginia ain't necessary. Virginia is some is somewhat well, we in north. Georgia, but we Virginia, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is is Virginia is <laughs> not necessarily considered south? It's is the it? south, baby. Yeah, it's like borderline. Because I'm saying, but DMV is. Uh, Delaware. Okay, Maryland, okay. So I'm Virginia. below the DM. So north, you got Northern Virginia, and then yep. you got Tidewater. I'm from Tidewater. Okay, so we right, consider. Cool. Right, like I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know it in Virginia. Okay, all right. So you the dude behind the class. <laughs> like yo, let me get the chapstick. You're like, all right, yeah, yeah, that's, that's me. You. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Hold on. All right, you want this one or you want that one? That's me. What switch the switch you want? Oh, you want the great one? All right, cool. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So how did you? So he rolled up on me. Who? My homeboy. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to do federal government contract. I'm going to get a truck. I said, what's federal contract? What is that? I had no clue. He said, hit me when you get off work. I said, but I got you. Next day, my boy went to jail, actually. He went to prison. The guy. Yeah, he went to prison. The next day. I hit him up when I got off, nothing. I hit him up the next day. His mama told me he got locked up. So, cool. 
he put the bug in my ear because he said it with such enthusiasm. I was like, yo, what is that? Like, he was hype. He's like, I'm going to get a truck. I'm going to get a federal contract. Ooh, I'm about to do this. I'm like, man, okay, cool. So he put the bug in my ear. I did my, my YouTube research back then. So I tried to piece everything together. It took me three years to win my first contract, though. So I started in 2008. I didn't win one until 2011. Dang. Yeah, I was struggling. I hate to, number one, I hate to read. I told you I got a PhD. Right. Public high school diploma. Right, right. So I don't got it all there in terms of the education. Like, okay, I, I, step one, step two, step. I ain't, I was just trying to. That actually Go makes me it. feel real comfortable because I hate research. And when I, I hate it. I, because I've, I've heard of the industry and all I see is paperwork. And I'm like, yeah. this is not for me. Yeah, yeah. So Period. I'm just the guy, you know, jump out the window, build my parachute on the way down, and I'm taking all kind of lumps. Like, I can't figure it out. I'm getting frustrated. Three years. Three years. No contracts. None. Zero. But peep game, when I won that first one, it was over. Because I started to document what I was doing. Because I was getting close. All the ones that I was losing, I noticed I was getting a little better at certain pieces. Okay, like man, my pricing is better. Right? Because at first, I might charge the government $20,000 to clean toilets. Like, I'm way off. I'm way off. But I didn't compare prices. I wasn't doing low. That's super high. The clean mm. toilets, maybe two. Like, I was doing stuff like, Two toilet contract, twenty thousand. I want twenty thousand. Gotcha. I'm going. I'm going too hard. The federal government. I'm thinking of it as like a blank check. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing it wrong. That's how I think. Of yeah, it. yeah, I was yeah, right. Yeah, I was yeah. doing it wrong. So boom, my pricing got better. Then my timing got better. Remember, they all got due dates. So I was submitting them after the due date. Mm. I had no computer for real. Like I was all jacked up. I was just working with what I had. So my pricing, my timing got better, but more importantly, my communication got better because every contract has a contract specialist. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even communicate with them people. I communicated with them because I didn't know nothing. Okay, what's the definition of this word? I will call them. Okay, why do I need to sign this document? I will call them. So I started to notice the more and more I called, the more information they was, they was actually teaching me how to do it oh, as wow. I'm going through it, right? They ain't even know. So I started to document the things that I was doing and saying and the responses I was getting back. And then I won my first one. The first one I won, it was for 125 bucks to me. But you need help to give birth to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why people get coaches. I've got a mentor in every single company we own. I have a mentor. Mm -hmm. And that's where people go wrong. I have so much purpose. But I just met with CJ yesterday for two hours. I said at his feet, I'm older than CJ, bro. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I said at his feet because I'm like, yo, bro, give me the game. Like, help me understand. I want to learn from you. I pay Alex Burton 10 grand for his dispatching. I mean, his trucking course. Mm -hmm. You feel me? So I... People need to invest in themselves wherever they are. If you're trying to have the best marriage, then get some marriage books. Get some marriage coaches. You know what I'm saying? Like Marriage Inc. At Marriage Inc. That's my me and Tracy's marriage coaches. Like, I would be divorced. I would not have a wife today if it wasn't for them. Like, if you want to win in finances, then you got to get with somebody in that financial space. Like, you got to be willing to get with a midwife or or or, or, or uh, what do you call it? The OBGYN. Somebody to help you give birth to whatever that thing is. For so the people that feel stuck, you you got to get with someone that can unstuck you. You know what I'm saying? And that's the problem. 
But a lot of people feel like they want to do it on their own or they prideful or they don't want to don't want to make that investment and they wonder why nothing changed. Well, you got to make a decision, right? And I believe everybody's everybody can go to the next level if their belief system is intact. But they got to believe. I was one way in life and I was there forever because of my specific belief system. But when I changed my brain, I changed my life. It all starts with your brain. What you think is what you say. What you say is what you do. What you do on a regular basis becomes a habit. Your habits create your character, and your character determines your destiny. But it all starts right here inside your brain. I'm going to give it to him again. Can I do it again? What you think is what you say. What you say is what you do. What you do on a regular basis becomes a habit. Be cautious. Yo, um, but this was, this was super valuable, bro. Yeah, I'm glad. This is super valuable. Yeah, I'm glad. Um, all right, so we got, I got two things. And you and hit I, me I off the phone, too, because whatever I can I can do to help you, I, you just hit my phone, bro. Yeah, because yeah. I need that. I'm having it. 7,400, I like that. Where else keep going to an auditorium for 20 minutes, an hour? Like, where can you go and speak without having to stretch, without having to be uh, number one in the country? Or I was shooting you know, or- yeah, I, I mean, Just even if, like an attorney, you got to do all this research, you got to do all this writing, you got to, and it's a lot. I can't think of any other profession. Let's just take out the fact that you're changing, saving lives. Yeah. Let's just, I want to tell you about that one kid with the weed in school, but I don't know if we have time for it. But let's just take out the idea I got time. of. It's up to you. Okay, so I let me share time. this story, but don't forget to come back to this, though. Uh, Are you going to forget? Well, that's what okay. I do. All right, man. Professional. So let me just, this is one, this, like, the bag is good. Matter of fact, let me stop playing. The bag is great. Like, the bag is phenomenal. It's life-changing, right? And that allows us to be able to feed the kids in South Africa. We put 40 kids in college. Like, it allows us to be a blessing to more people. But, man, it's these type of stories right here I could talk about all day. I went to one school, and I was either in Memphis, either in Memphis or on the south side of Chicago. I can't remember what city, but I'll go in. I do my thing, struggling. It's heavy drugs in the school. Folks getting stabbed. Like, it's one of them type of schools. I pour my heart out, bro. I'm sweating. I speak for an hour. They walk out of the gym. My probably spend another 45 minutes high-fiving, dapping up the kids, you know what I'm saying, praying with them on the slide. Like, whatever they need, I'm just, I bail myself. Before you guys got, like, into a relationship relationship, or was it the relationship first, and then you guys teamed up together? So it was the relationship first, and, um, you know, part of what brings us together um, are our commonalities. So we both have an interest and a background in Asia, and that's the region that we were working. So we were in different offices, but the same region. And so we both had, um, so I was, uh, I lived in Japan from the ages of two to six, and I spoke Japanese when we lived there, and then we moved back to the States after that. So I had this, you know, my like, my like pivotal, my growing years were in Japan. So I had this, really? yeah, so I had this really strong What were you doing connection. in Japan? My parents, my pa- my dad's Venezuelan. Okay. So my mom met my dad in Fort Lauderdale, moved with him to Venezuela. I was born there and they'd converted to Buddhism. A Buddhism that the sect is, um, it's the Nichiren uh, Shoshu Buddhism in, in, from Japan. So they had friends who had already gone to like explore this Buddhism more in Japan. 
And my parents were trying to figure out how to get there. My dad found a school that did um, had a master's in architectural photography. So he enrolled in the school. He like learned Japanese, enrolled in architectural photography school, and they just took us. Well, I was just me at the time. So yeah, my, my mom, I'm two, and my mom goes halfway across the world and... They they like adventure. That's my super cool. Yeah, <laughs> and you learned English and Japanese. I mean, you were obviously old enough yes. to already know English, but you learned Japanese at a very young age. Yes. Yeah, so Japanese, Spanish, and English were my first three languages, which was interesting when I moved back because I moved to Saint Petersburg, and um, I my second grade teacher <laughs> tried to hold me. No, my first grade, my first grade teacher tried to hold me back because she said that knowing so many languages made me slow, <laughs> which, you know, that's, it was 1986. That's okay. Um, but my mom pushed back, and I ended up in gifted class instead. <laughs> so, um, Teach their own. Exactly. <laughs> but ever since then, I was, you know, when we got to the agency, you know, I, I, want, I had Spanish... I was like, I can pick Japanese right back up. I had enough of it. And that was my interest. And then Andy has Chinese. And his um, he has a degree in uh, East Asian studies. And so we had this common interest in that region and in working the targets in that region. So it was natural for us to eventually end up working the same targets. I don't think we were ever at the same time in the same office, but that doesn't mean that we weren't working the same targets, if that makes sense. Like, um, for example, they'll have a regional office that will do Asia, but then they'll have another office that does a subject matter like counterproliferation, mm-hmm. right? So you can be have two people, one in a regional office, one in counterproliferation, and then they overlap because counterproliferation happens everywhere in the world. So that's how it ended up happening. And where are you guys at at this point? Like, where is the CIA headquarters? Like, that you guys, where's the building that you guys are working at? So we were in Langley at the main headquarters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we were there for quite some time before, you know, doing TDYs and things like that. So. And how long was it before you guys actually went out into the field and went to Asia together? So we... And where did you guys go to China? Uh, we... I, I you don't can't think, say? Yeah, we can't say the exact location. Oh, Asia. Okay. <laughs> Asia, okay. Um, but we did a number of TDYs separately. Um, so we had started traveling for the agency almost as soon as we joined. Oh, okay. Right. Like he, him going, you know, I would go one country, he would go another country d- at different times as the office, as the mission dictated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, eventually I, I knew that I wanted to be assigned overseas um, for a longer period of time. So I started, you know, just putting a little bug in my manager's ear, like I will go literally anywhere. Um, I was like, Ulaanbaatar, I don't care. Like just send me overseas. Um, I wanted the excitement of being in the field because it's the work is different, right? Like headquarters work is slower, Field work, like you are 
on the ground, real time, like stuff happens, you know, like, um, where we were, there was a, like a small terrorist attack while we were assigned there, you know, and I'm like, it's action, like stuff is happening real time. Like I'm working with the foreign service there. Um, you know, it's just incredible. So we, I think we were together. I think we were together three years, um, before we were sent out for a long assignment. And that was, it was amazing. What is it about, about Asia and those cultures that excites you or interests you? So I think a lot of it has to do with my childhood. Just the fact that I, because my first memories are of Japan Mm. and because my parents are Buddhist. So even when we came back, that culture continued. Um, It's just comfortable for me. I like, so I, I definitely feel American. I am definitely Americanized, but I also have this very strong, like I understand the, the culture of putting your community before yourself, which is very Asian, right? Like Americans Mm. are very independent. Um, You usually put yourself before others. But in Asia, like when when coronavirus started. Guys, and what's up, Aaron? Keep doing your thing, dude. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you you very much. What did he do? I will. What did he do? Closing his first deal in two weeks. Congratulations. I hope you make money on it. Good deal. Good deal. You should be ringing the bell. Whenever somebody closes the deal, we should have the bell to ring or get me to rub a chicken. Chucky, where's your chicken? All right. What else you got? Anything else? Anybody else? Heath Sims. Thanks for the $5. Ben, you ever heard of salad? Salad? Yeah, I know all about salad. It comes right before you. you get a meal. Salad is what you enjoy on your way to the big steak, baby. I love salad, but not too much. You know, it's just to get you started, get your stomach going, because something good's getting ready to come. So you just give it that little teaser with the salad. All right? What else? Softla Ben, 10. Thanks for the $5. What do you know about collecting rents and putting in a sweep account and making interest off of it? An OG property manager was telling me about this. All right. A sweep account is, it's really in banking. It has to do with banking. You put the money in account, the bank sweeps it out. Some banker comes with a broom and a dustpan, sweeps up your money. And he goes, puts it somewhere else where he claims he's making more money because he's invested in something that's paying more money. And then he gives you a piece of that action. I believe that's the way it works. They sweep the money out. They put it in a can and somewhere where it's making more money with the other money that the bank has. And then they split the profit with you. So you get a little more interest than you would just sitting in their account doing nothing. That's my opinion. Verify it with a banker, but it's very common 
on any kind of operating accounts to have a sweep account come in and sweep up. That's what the goddamn banks do. They like to clean up. Clean up your money. What else you got? Anything? IGH Properties. Thanks again for the $99.99. Ben. $99.99. Ben, I, I outspent the doctor. Real estate investors make more money than doctors anyways. I'm only running for Section 8. Now, so if tenants don't pay, I'm still making money, baby. Well, you're a smart guy. You're doing exactly what I did. I mean, you know, that's the benefit. If you rent to Section 8 and you, you work with agencies and help low-income people and, and play with the program, then it pays off because you got security. You got the government backing you up, you know, guaranteeing you that they're going to uh, pay you that money. So I'm glad. I'm happy for you. I wish I was in your shoes because... I'm not in those shoes. Shagadam, thanks for the $5. Hey, Ben, thanks for, for your insights. When do you think the real estate market will crash, and when will be a good time to buy? You know, right now we're in uncharted waters. You know, everybody's holding on, but I'm telling you now, and everybody's got a prediction. And, and half the time, people predict the right thing. Why? Because you're either right or you're wrong. You got a 50% chance. It's like going, it's like when my wife goes to the roulette table. You know, she either plays the black or the red. Why? Because she knows she's got a 50-50 chance of winning. You know, so, um, you know, I'm predicting we don't know what the hell's going on now. The government's really pumped up the economy to keep it going. But I think it's inevitable. The banks aren't getting the money they need on their mortgages. Landlords aren't collecting rents right now. And, and you can't even blame the companies not paying them because they're not making no money. The movie theaters are suffering. The restaurants are suffering. The hotels are empty. You know, gyms are empty. And then, you know, they suffer. The landlord suffers. Everybody's suffering. Uh, I think that there's plenty of people, I'm one of them, ready to cash out. So, like I said... I'm putting properties on the market right now for mega millions less than I thought they were worth and what I would have took before this shit started. So now's a great time to go out and look for bargains, okay? It's always a good time to look for bargains, but now there's a lot of scared people out there. They just don't want to tell nobody they're scared. But I would be out there lowballing stuff because, like I said, you know, you put some money in front of somebody, these days, they're going to think twice. The stock market's going up. The stock market's going down. It's like a brand new boat. I had a wax and everything. Everything's working. The air conditioning's working. The generator's working. It'll cruise at 40 miles an hour. It's got two sleeping compartments. It's got a refrigerator. It's got a microwave. You can take a shower and use the bathroom in it. What the hell else do you want? All under 27, 8 feet. Made by formula. Come on, 30 grand, come on down to Clearwater, and let's make a deal. What else you got? Andres Estronza, thanks for the $5. I submitted an Ask Ben question. Looking for a tenant help on Force Majeure, I mean Major. Force Majeure? Majeure claim. Force majeure. Is that somebody looked that up? Is that some friggin' French word they came up with? Fuck you, force majeure. Force majeure, from my understanding, means that it was uh, 
you know, the government or somebody major came in, like a war or government or something shut you down. I'm trying to fight that honestly with my tenants saying, listen, you know, it ain't force majeure. A virus doesn't classify for that. And let's make a deal. Okay? I'm making deals. All right? So... It's best to make a deal. If the tenant's trying to pull that, say, listen, it's, you ain't got no legal. My lawyers say they got no legal way to stand on it. If that was the case, there'd be a million lawsuits, billions of lawsuits. It's not fair to say that. It's best to we all buckle down together. Let's make a deal. What's fair to everybody? How much can you afford to pay? Let's put it on the back end. I've even given away some rent to some big shot clients. They squeezed me. You know, where I had to abate some rent. You know, it depends.